You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. Welcome to the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin Free, and I am, of course, joined by my co-host, Andy Villanueva, and we are joined today by NHC Hall of Famer Trey Stiles. Welcome back, guys. We got an exciting weekend of racing ahead, getting really close to the Derby. Andy, you got any updates on anything? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> other than our website, you know, I'm not doing anything with the Derby until the week before the Derby, and I'm sure Trey's thinking the same thing. And um, Oh, look at me. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we just, you know, we're I've learned not to get involved, not to get fall in love with a horse in April or March. Um, I learned that thank you to Country House when he won the Derby because I literally locked in on him uh, two days before the Derby when I watched his when I watched his tapes back and was like, if he makes a run, he wins the race. Of course, he ran second, but it still doesn't matter. He got put up. <laughs> still won. Yeah, I was telling somebody the other day. Um, Somebody was asking me like how much prep I do between the two weeks between this week and Derby week. And I'm like, Shh, not a lot. This is literally the time of the year. Those two weeks is where you have a really good break. What do you think, Trey? Do you, do you feel that in between big races like this, it's good to kind of take a breather and just kind of decompress a little bit? And I've been so busy with uh, doing Sam Houston stuff. Uh, you know, but doing doing the the Sharpie time and the paddock previews and my regular job that I really I think Chris asked me on air a couple of times about different derby preps and I, Chris the Griffin the track announcer and I was like man I I don't I don't have time to keep I don't want to say something to embarrass myself so I, I wish I had time to follow it but then I certainly will going forward so maybe I'll catch use this time to catch up maybe I'll be the other way around with your question so uh, one of the main there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to have you on. First one is to thank you. Uh, last year when I first did Sharpie time, I was a nervous wreck the first day. You came up to me. You were really nice. You basically just told me to be myself and relax. And I did so, and it helped out a lot. So it well, definitely got easier as the shows went on. So definitely. I appreciate that. The other thing is, is that, I find you to be probably one of the most astute handicapper, handicappers I've ever seen and heard and talked to. Um, because there are things that you see that I'm like, there's no, what is he looking at? And then you'll say, oh, you know, you'll, you'll make a comment about something and I'll go back and look and I'll be like, oh yeah, um, I missed that. Uh, how, did, how did you go about doing it? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody has an origin story on why they went to the racetrack. What was your reason? So just like how it all began from the get-go, like what got me interested in the horses? Yeah. A long, uh, well, cool. Uh, I had a buddy that, I grew up in Beaumont, which I'm pointing and you can't, people don't know that Beaumont's that way, but uh, I grew up in Beaumont, which isn't far from Houston. Uh, but back when I was a kid, there was no horse racing in Texas. And so uh, it was right across the border from Delta Downs. And I had a buddy in probably, I guess, early high school, whose dad lived in Chicago and would take him to the track and he would tell me about it. And so once he got old enough to get a driver's license, I was still 15. 
we loaded up in the Camaro and drove to across the border and, and started going, just checking it out. We weren't old enough to get in, but it's not too hard to get into anywhere in Louisiana uh, underage. At least it wasn't back then. So, and we just started, I, you know, the normal story. I think my second race, I hit a big long shot and thought it was easy. You know, everybody has that story, right? That's, that's addicted. And uh, so that's uh, kind of how it got going. I mean, that's how I got from there. I just kind of developed it piece by piece you know, how I approach things and how I enjoyed it. And I've been pretty consistent going to the horses ever since. What, um, obviously you're, uh, an attorney by trade. So you kind of have to juggle handicapping and, and, um, doing your regular job, quote unquote. Um, but I mean, you, you obviously, are, are you the, can you say that, Horse racing helped pay for your for your for your law license kind of way for your education. Well, I had uh, this brief. I hadn't. I don't know if I've told this story ever in public. Um, before we had horses in Texas, we had dogs, and I, I have to confess, one semester of law school, I was out of money. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to pay the tuition. I was going to get a loan from somewhere. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, uh, and I hit a, 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 had a big carryover and a, and a pick six and I hit for, I don't know, it was enough for tuition. I want to say it was $3,000. It was, I don't know what it was, but, and so that was pretty sweet. That got me over a rough spot, but, uh, uh, you know, other than that, I can't say I had that, uh, you know, I funded anything. I, well, I did one summer at Delta in the quarter. This is why I started like quarter horses so much. Cause I would go more in the summer because that was, when, and that was when the quarter horse meet was at Delta. So that's when I could go because I didn't have school. You know, my parents wouldn't let me go off to the track on a school night. So, um, but I started going to the court horses and that, uh, I, I guess maybe my freshman year of college, right before then, I think it was the summer before my freshman year of college, I didn't have a job and I made enough money to, I mean, it, it, I did well. I did, I made enough, I didn't need to make much because I was a teenager that, you know, I had overhead paid and all I needed to do was make enough to, you know, go on dates and go to the movies or whatever. So, uh, but I made a living doing it one summer and, and, uh, and then that time at the dog track, but other than that, I can't, I don't have any cool stories there. <laughs> so, so what do you, what do you find, what do you find easier to handicap between the three dogs, quarter horses or thoroughbreds? I have no desire to play the dogs. I don't play I don't like the dogs. I don't, so I can't <laughs> even tell. I mean, I did it then cause there was no other game in town. Uh, way back then, and I don't know when that was. It had been 1990, 91, somewhere around there. And uh, so, I, so dogs are out of the question because I don't even play them. Uh, and which is easier? That's an interesting way to approach the question. I would say that there is less for me to consider when I'm looking at a quarter horse card. Less factors come into play. Um, I care less about. I, I find in quarter horses that differences for example something that i like to look at with thoroughbreds is a horse that maybe you know the horse that has one win in nine places and you just see that horse just doesn't win it's a it's a i find that those statistics tend to be less common in quarter horses and when they are it tends to be just an anomaly i don't think that's something that's i mean that doesn't seem to happen as much just just a, just a statistical thing that pops up so i mean there's just there's less things to roll in the puzzle and try to figure out when you're dealing with quarter horses, I think, but I love them. I, I like them just as much, maybe more than, and I think I might be more profitable at quarter horses than am thoroughbreds to be honest. 
Uh, I haven't kept stats uh, broken down by breed in a couple of years, but that's when I have it, that's been the case. It's been pretty close. I've all, um, you know, I grew up, I grew up on thoroughbreds, but when I was a jock agent in California, I had to hustle book at Los Alamitos. So I had to learn how to handicap quarter horses and all that. And uh, I learned, I learned that there were a couple things I never wanted to see on a quarter horse when it comes to like gates or anything like that. One of them is you never want to see a horse that has a halter um, in the, in the starting stall, because you know, that horse tries is a chronic, chronic bad actor and flipper. Right. He probably isn't going to break her out. Well, um, another one is if it's a horse, if a horse has 10 starts and eight of them are, you know, seventh or worse as far as the starting gate, then that's probably not a horse that's probably going to be beneficial for you in the long run as far as betting them. Uh, but I mean, you know, it, it's just one of those things where trouble, eh, kind of. I mean, I think there's more trouble trips in horse racing than there are in quarter horse racing for the most part. Um, I would agree. And I would agree. Of, That's another factor that you don't have this, this often. There's a whole bunch of them, I think, but that, yeah, I'm with you. So let, let, let's, let's kind of segue over to your NHC run here. Um, I did not realize how, how incredibly impressive uh, your stats are as far as NHC. Caitlin, did you know he has 18 straight appearances in the NHC since 2002? That's absolutely crazy to me. And there's so many people that are, I mean, it's a big accomplishment to qualify one time. And I guess my question and what I'm really wanting to know is how do you do it every year? I mean, I know there's feeder contests and all that good stuff, but to qualify that many times in a row, like, is it just routine at this point? Obviously you know how to get in. Like how, how does it happen that many times? How do you go about that? Well, it's, it's easy. Even though more people are playing, it's easier now than it was. I mean, the the hard part of the streak or the harder part of the streak, and I'm not saying that I'm a shoe in ever. I always assume that I'm not going to make it and I don't ever act like I'm there until I get there. But uh, before the online contest, when you had to physically go somewhere to, to qualify uh, before there was uh, you could get in on points. There were no tour points. You could, you had to actually win or place high top four, sometimes top three in a contest. That was when it was, uh, that was when it, I think the more, the most impressive part of that streak. And that a lot of it's just, I mean, obviously a lot of luck. And I mean, I, I you know, I would go to, so we didn't have that many here. I mean, I, I first one I did was at Sam Houston uh, the year before I qualified my first time and I finished just missed almost qualified there. And so then I started, I thought, well, okay, maybe I can do this. So then I started trying, I think I qualified at Rotama a couple of times, you know, local tracks, and then they quit kind of having them like Tama doesn't do it anymore. And Sam Houston, they got back into it last year, but uh, there really just aren't that many options. So it was, that was the hard part was, you know, I'd have to go. I mean, I qualified at, I mean, all around, I mean, Louisiana, they're mostly around, even though I'd sometimes would go far away. Uh, you know, I've been all around the country to different contests, but it seems like I usually am have qualified uh, Louisiana Downs, Zia, Rotama, the dog track down in Harlingen that the uh, that Sam Houston owned back in the day. That would be where they had their contest. So I guess they, 
it's that the, the getting in back in the early part was just it's a lot more random it was hard it was less opportunities I mean, if you want to play now every week you have a chance you can play somewhere you have a chance every week that was not the case uh you know when this all first first started going at least it started going for me so so a new person getting started now with the online stuff what would be your best suggestion for them would it be feeders would it be just playing on playing a $400 buy-in, what, what is cost-effective for, for a newer player that wants to get into the game as far as that's concerned? That's a great question, and I get that. I'm a, one of the NHC or NTRA mentors for the NHC, and so I get folks that you know, reach out to them and either specifically request me or the, NH, the NTRA for whatever reason thinks that I'm a good match, and so I, I'll talk to folks and I get that. That's like the most common question I get, right? It's how, what's the best way to do this? And usually people, uh, my concern is when somebody's new is they're, they're all excited. And the people I'm talking to, they're, you know, they're, they're wanting to go all in. And I think the cost can add up pretty quick and it can, and you can go, Oh, you know, I just spent $800 this month and I don't have anything to show for it. And I, you know, I don't want to do this. And so I, you know, I encourage people, well, first I listen to them, right? If it's, depends on who the person is. If it's a, you know, if, if money's not an option for people, then great, go, you know, go to town on these things. Some of the you know, people can play as many as they want. And that's not a factor. Um, if I, I tell folks now, a lot of the time, especially I get, it seems like I get a lot of younger folks, maybe starting off in their careers, don't have as much disposable income uh, that, that tend to use, utilize that uh, avenue to get to me. And so I tell them to just, kind of start off easy and don't, you know, maybe play some of the, uh, the cheaper the che feeders for sure, or the, maybe the $75 contests. And, you know, cause if you can get, there's a bunch of people on those. And if you can get some, even if you don't win, if you can get some points and you can do that, you know, four or five times, maybe you can get into, especially this year where they're not having 75 people get in through the, I call it the back door, but the, you know, get in on points through two points that don't actually win a contest. That and you can kind of measure it and see see where you stand, and you don't have to spend so much money. Because uh, if you're buying, if you're playing the big bigger dollar contests every weekend, it's even the seventy five dollar ones can start to add up. So, just kind of depends on your budget level. And my real concern is folks like that maybe jump in too deep too fast, and then they not that they can't do it. It's just that they get overwhelmed and think, uh oh, that's I'm spending lots of money and this isn't working. And so I try to uh, help people not get to that point. Because uh, I, because I'm, you know, I think it's awesome, and I have enjoyed it. It's been a huge uh, impact on my life. I mean, to be honest, I mean, uh, all my leisure time, a lot of my uh, fun stuff that I like to do, people I've met, opportunities I've had, have all been because of this contest play. So I, I'm, I think it's awesome, and I want folks to kind of get their feet wet, but and get a taste for it without, you know, just kind of drowning at first. Yeah, um, you know, I've always. When I was growing up, when I was younger, before I got onto the track, I was, I would go on the weekends to Santa Anita and there was always a group of people that I always hung out with that couldn't tell you anything about them other than what I knew at the racetrack, right? I mean, you know, they just became friends. And, you know, same thing at Sam Houston. There's, there, I mean, I kind of keep to myself at Sam Houston because I kind of, yeah, there's I some, I, lo I love some of the people there, but I'm afraid of them. So, uh, <laughs> like any track no but i mean you know there uh, man you know i used to think i had like some great stories that i could write i write a book about at santa anita but 
man, Sam Houston, I've got like six already. <laughs> you know, um, just well, that's one of the cool things about the contest play is you meet a whole di- like uh, yep. there's I kind of have different group. I mean, I have some people that I meet at the track that are friends of mine from the track, and I mean, we're really solid friends, and I maybe only see them. I mean, they're not here. Most of them aren't here. I'm here as in Houston, but there are folks that I see four, three, four, maybe five times a year, some combination of them. And they're some of my best friends in the world. Yeah. There's, there, there's, there's a horse racing Twitter, Twitter circle that, that I kind of have gotten involved in with daily gallop. And those people I probably have seen more than most of my friends, like my real life friends that have become friends. Like Caitlin's one of them. Um, but you know, it's like one of those things to where you get to talking to people, you either like them or you don't. And, you enjoy it. Uh, I know last year was the first time I had played a live money tournament at Sam Houston. And I'm so thankful you were there because I was like, there were times where I was stressing out and you'd ask me how I was doing. And I think at the end of the tournament, I think I finished fifth or sixth. And um, yeah. you were like, well, at least you get points. And I was like, I wanted to win. With <laughs> but, you know, I mean, sorry. What good it hit me if I'd have heard me say that. Sorry about that. No, I'm actually, I was actually, actually, it actually helped me because it's like, okay, so I didn't win the thing. Okay, great. But you know what? For a first money life tournament, finishing sixth, you know, ending up in the positive for, for the day is a lot better than not ending positive for the day and going home with nothing, you know? Um, so I was okay with it. And it actually made me feel better that you said that because I was able to step back and look at that. Um, and like you said, I mean, I'll play the online feeder tournaments now more just because they're there and it's easier to do. And, you know, Mike Steinler over at, at Lone Star is always hitting you up, hitting me up, hitting you up to play the feeders. Yes, um, he is. He's very persistent. So we kind of <laughs> have to do it as a, we don't have to, but we kind of feel obligated to do it. Uh, last year was your best finish, I think, in the NHC was third. I think you had a monster day the first day. Fifth? Was it fifth? Fifth. Um, you could have said fifth and corrected me. It would have been fine. I mean, Chris <laughs> Griffin, Chris Griffin it corrects me quite a bit um, when I'm doing Sharpie time. Um, yeah, that's all right. Me that, too. That was your best one, right? That was your best one. It was, by far, yes. Um, what was that feeling like going into every single day um, as far as, like, trying to maintain the same – the same formula every day. Well, I have, as you pointed out, a lot of experience with this that actually came in handy to, to fall back on. I've been in the top after day one before a couple times and, and just tanked it. And so I certainly knew that was a possibility and I wasn't getting too high. Uh, and I knew that a lot of times the people that do well in the tournament are nowhere near the leaderboard on the first day. So you, you got to not get too excited about it when you're, when you're doing well. And last year, uh, I guess the last one of these we had, I'm getting a little confused with, with COVID changing things around, but the, but the year I, the, my last event, um, I kind of, I did well, kind of the whole, I mean, I didn't hit the, my first bet, but maybe my second or third. And, and I kind of was up at the top the whole way through. I never fell very far out. I think I was fifth after day one, fifth after day two, and fifth after day three. I mean, I had some fluctuations in there. But for a while on day two, I was in first. Um, it, it, I can I say is it's it's so it's super cool. It's important to set, keep your cool and not get 
too excited. Like the first time I think I did this, I got a little too amped after day one and uh, just I didn't stay focused. And that was probably my first eh, second event, maybe. I don't remember. But um, and I've had it other times where I was in the top 10 after two days. So I mean, I've had other chances where I've been close. And I, you got to know that there's a lot of work to do. And so I had planned, I get out there early, I plan ahead, I have all the races looked at before. Well, not all of them, all the races I want to look at, I've looked at before the tournament starts. Uh, I'm talking through, well, through the first two days for sure. So before the first tournament race even goes off, I've looked at every race and know generally, okay, uh, if I'm doing well, that this is a road I can take, or if I'm doing horrible and I need to readjust my strategy, you know, I've got roads planned out for no matter what scenario I'm in. And I definitely think that that, that you know, preparation and that experience and kind of checking my emotions, not getting too high or, or low when you miss one, kind of kind of came together pretty well this year. Definitely helped. I think, go ahead, Kayla. I was going to say, so with all the changes they're going to be doing this year, obviously the whole thing has moved quite significantly down the calendar than what it is. Cause usually you're doing Oak Lawn, Aqueduct, Gulfstream. How, how is it going to change people's strategies or specifically yours this year doing the boutique meets Saratoga and Del Mar? And how does that make it so much different? Yeah. Well, I think it's going to help a lot of people that don't that prefer that there's going to be a lot of, you know, uh, Delmar fans or Saratoga fans, you know, people that just live for that, uh, that meet that are going to, are going to be in an advantage. Uh, I don't know that that's me. I mean, I love both of those meets, but I'm not one that goes really focuses and bets every day's card or, you know, that's not me. Um, so I don't know that personally it's going to hurt or help me. I, I plan to use the same, same strategy. I actually, uh, I think Southwest just came out with their, flight schedules that far in advance they've been waiting i guess and so i just booked mine uh this week i'm going out same thing i'm going out on monday before i'm gonna dig in start do my homework turn my work off except for emergency uh you know items that i you know that i just have to deal with um and try to get away because that helps me i've tried doing it from home doesn't work i mean i had kids back then i had and something happens, there's a game, something to coach, there's always something or, and work. It's just easier to get away. So I think my strategy and everything will not change that much. Um, I, I like to, in the, in the month to two months before, I like to pay special attention to some of those tracks that are running. So, you know, that'll be, I, but I'll just, you know, instead of watching Oakland and, and uh, Fairgrounds, I'll, you know, be looking at whatever tracks they end up picking. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just one of those things that um, I think, I think it's going to be just a little different because, you know, like the boutique meets are just, just really, really, um, they're kind of hard to, to gauge if you don't follow them on a weekly basis, you know, like you and I, we follow Sam Houston all the time. So it's kind of easy yeah. to, to gauge the track every single time. Um no knock on Sam Sherman, but I guess he was putting out his his picks on on uh, for Oakland, and I had mentioned in one of our chat one of uh, chats that Caitlin and I are in. I'm like, look, I appreciate the fact that you're that you want to put out your picks, but 
you got to know that racetrack before you even do that because that track can change in two seconds, right? So unless you know how that track holds, um, it's really, really tough. And, um, you know, it, it's a learning experience for the younger handicappers, I think. And uh, I think you would agree on that, right? Or hopefully disagree. Yeah. And talking about Sam Houston, I mean, that is the only this, – this past meet would be the only time I ever do what – what you're talking about that I don't, I mean, I, I'm kind of a weekend warrior, right? I mean, I, I look at the races on the weekends. I have a day job. I don't, I'm not a industry type and this isn't what I do for a living. Uh, and so, but for Sam, I did every, almost every card for every, you know, the whole, the whole meet and it definitely helps. Right. I mean, I'm a big believer in replays and, you know, watching replays and, or, or following along with the races. And when you're there and you've handicapped them all and you're familiar with the cards and you're all the races and all the runners, it really, it really does help. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a great thing as Paul Asinissi, a uh, former Southern California trainer joins us as he's uh, our next guest in the goat zoom room after Trey uh, interview is over. Um, I think, you know, I, I'll, I was talking to Jermaine Bridgman uh, off air when we, when we interviewed him, but um, he was telling me a lot of things that I never knew about certain tracks. And it always shocks me that if you don't play, if you don't know certain nuances about tracks, it's so difficult. And Paul can answer this if he want, wants to jump in real quick. Uh, but like Del Mar, if you don't know where the title, if you don't know where the title, title charts are, they actually play a difference on the racetrack, right? If you don't know when the tide comes in or when the tide goes out, it actually makes it difficult to handicap Del Mar in the afternoons. Um, I didn't know this about Turfway Park, but apparently it gets really, really cold and it gets colder now because the grandstand's down and there's such a wind headwind going in that no winners on the front end can win. So, um, you know, Sam Houston, Sam Houston, I was saying, has kind of a double-edged sword, and you can attest to this. The wind can pick up at any point in time, and if you got a front runner, you don't want him there. Um, and two, if it's at night and you get a horse that's green, the minute those gates open and those cars go down Fairbanks, <laughs> freaks them out. Yeah, it always cracks me up when the cars are and the horses and running down, you know, with the horses running. I'm like, oh, it's it's bizarre. Where do you see that, right? I mean, they're 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 like twenty yards apart. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Um, a couple of, a couple things, and Caitlin's gonna gonna finish up the interview with her little questions here. But um, what what would you like to see fixed as far as like horse racing, or how betters can get better, or not betters, but how can horse racing help the better? To become a better to to gather more to gather more players as far as that's concerned. Yeah, man, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? I mean, I see we're all on Twitter and following horse Twitter, and there's all sorts of thoughts on there. Um, man, that's hard. I I think that anything that you have that ways that you can respond to other forms of sports wagering uh, have to be a priority for, I mean, for, it's just too easy to go in and people know how to bet uh, on a game between 
the Rockets and the Spurs because, I mean, it's easy, right? They all know how baseball or basketball works or if they're playing baseball or whatever sport. And But a lot of people don't have any clue when they see 10 horses line up. You know, they all look the same. And so you got to figure out ways to make that information easier. And, I, I mean, free free performances, free replays, free you – know, the more you can get people – because that's, to me, the biggest hurdle is for people to kind of figure out – I mean, there's too many things that they can – wager on that they understand better than than horse racing it's not easy to know how this is going to work i mean to figure out this little puzzle that we try to figure out every day no it isn't it's it's kind of you know there was a discussion with in the pylons who is probably the smartest human being i've ever met i've ever seen on twitter as far as horse racing is concerned when it comes to the to the finance side of it as far as the business side um but you know you you can't nickel and die you nickel and diving people all of a sudden you're down 20 30 dollars and you know if you, you have to pick and choose your spots nowadays with all the computer gamblers as far as that's concerned uh caitlin always likes to do this so i'm gonna let caitlin ask these questions uh, <laughs> at a time because they're really tough so and we never prepare anybody for them so oh, great yeah i have no clue what's coming so I don't, this is you're making me nervous i wasn't nervous at all until now now, now i'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever I don't know if this would be anything that ever interests you but if you ever got in to horse racing ownership <laughs> where would be the ideal track that you would love to race a horse at your where would you love to take a horse that is an awesome question I would uh, I'm now I'm not a nervous anymore I'm excited um <laughs> and someday when my, my wife's always told me when I get the kids are out of college that I can buy I can own a horse but till then she's said, you know, she's very patient with my whole horse hobby, but she put the kibosh in and I have a freshman right now is my youngest. So, so not too far off. This could be a reality for me. Um, where would I want to go to watch my horse? I probably, can I answer that like two different ways? I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love Saratoga. I've been to her contest. Uh, was the only reason I ever got there. And now I want to go every year. It's awesome. And if I could ever own a horse that was that, you know, it was that level, then that would be pretty cool. That would, be, that would mean I've accomplished something. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got a decent horse if I'm able to get all the way to Saratoga. Um, more reality, though, I'd like to see, have horse that would, and I've always said I would do this if I owned a horse, would I want a horse that I could run locally so that I could be there and watch because I can't go watch every race at Saratoga. Um, but maybe I can get to, you know, the local circuit, uh, around here in Texas. So some, some horse that I'd rather own a hundred percent of a smaller horse, smaller, uh, lower level horse, uh, and get to watch it all the time. than some little small fraction of a horse that I get to go that I can watch on the computer at Saratoga or some other big track. So I like that. Yeah. So same scenario. What would be your go-to jockey? Ooh, Wow. Wow, I don't know my go-to jockey. Can I go? Can I go with uh, Ray Lou Gutierrez because he was awesome, Sam Houston? Yeah, absolutely. We love was, Ray Lou. Yeah, he and he is hilarious when he does interviews. He's thinking awesome. So uh, I just think he. he I. I mean, again, my recent history, uh, but I don't really have like a favorite, like of the jockeys on the. You know, they're going to be riding the big Breeders' Cup and. And, uh, you know, I don't have all those, that little small group. I don't know that any of them really that I have one that I just think is awesome that I would uh, want to uh, 
that I would want to have. So uh, I get somebody like that that I just saw recently that's top notch and uh, seems like a cool dude. I keep I keep telling Lane Leslie that. So Lane has this He's habit. He has this habit of once he gets done, now that he can do this and not go around, but he goes through the paddock or through the, uh, what is it, the grandstand. He walks through the grandstand, he takes off his silks, and he shows his guns, but they're pasty white. And I keep telling him he needs to get some sun on them because that's just that just doesn't work in Houston. <laughs> Does it? Some people right. need practical advice. Yeah. Last question for, for you, Trey, before we let you go. Go ahead, Caitlin. Oh, I thought trainer. he was going to ask. That threw me off, too. <laughs> trainer, yes. Same thing. Trainer, who is it? What trainer do I want? Wow. Okay. Well, um, if I, you know, that's a good question. On the, on the, if I had that horse, uh, that was, you know, the high end horse that I'm running somewhere cool, like, you know, Del Mar, Saratoga, um, Huh. I, I don't, I, that's hard. I'd probably go, look, I, I think Bob Baffert's a cool interview too. So I'll go with Bob Baffert. I'll pick Bob Baffert to be my, uh, be my trainer. I think uh, you're, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think you're literally the only person we've ever asked this of, but I've asked like 10 people so far on the show. I think you're the only one that has not said Joel Rosario. Yeah. That is true. I don't know. <laughs> Don't know what to say. <laughs> that was a popular answer, but I like Ray Lou. I think that I think he's going to come up and be a really good up and coming rider as he gets older. So I like he that. He did awesome at Sam. He, he did awesome at Sam Houston, and uh, and he would really just crack me up when he would do the interviews. I mean, he, he's very well spoken, and and he seems like a sharp guy, and he's a good rider. So I, I'm a fan. That's all. I, I like him too. We've had him on the show before, and oh really. Yeah, we had him on during uh, Sam Houston Race Park opening week. So he's a great interview. He's he's oh, a good kid. He's a good kid. Um, yeah, very well spoken, like you said. Um, yeah, I've never met him. I just and so I have no personal. You know, I don't know. He yeah, doesn't know me at all. But uh, I just get a hoot out of watching him. But I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk to us and um, get to know you a little better, uh, or let other people know you a little better. Um, you know, we both run in the same circles here in Houston with St. We do. It's kind of weird, actually. It's kind of cool, right? I just saw. I mean, it's we actually do. People don't know this, but we. I don't know if you want to say, but uh, but we have we know each other from the track, and we know each other entirely separately from other parts of Houston. Yeah, let's we'll leave it at that. It's really cool. <laughs> Very cool. So I appreciate your time, and thanks for coming on. Well, you bet, man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one, Trey. All righty, guys. I'm signing off, right? Yes, sir. Please. All right. Carry on. Thanks. <laughs> and now we bring in Paul Asanesi, who I have. How are you doing, Andy? Good. I have known Paul Asanesi in some form or another for going on 30 years as of this year. Um, Yes, basketball a lot though. No, and horses, man. Horses. Yeah, both. But I mean, basketball lately. You know, we both uh, have a passion for that. Yeah, we do. We do. And I don't know if you've ever met Caitlin Free, but Caitlin Free is my co-host. Um, hey, Caitlin, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you, Paul? 
I'm doing great. Just love to be part of your show. Absolutely. We are so glad to have you. So before we start, before we start diving into stuff, let's talk about your new, your new passion that isn't basketball. It's called The Barn Loves Them. You post a five, 10 minute little clip every day talking about horses and tracks. Uh, what inspired you to do that? You know, like I see these people, um, you know, like on TVG, on their own sites, giving, you know, analysis. And I think, you know, I try to stay with, you know, I know, you know, I've been at Delaware. I've been all around the country. But, you know, Cal Southern California is where I've trained. I was a trainer, a jockey agent, a groom, a stable agent. You know, I grew up there. So I just seem that I have a lot more insight to help the person learn about horse racing. I'm not here to give you winners. I'm here to try to give you reasons why you try to find winners on your own eventually. You know, open up your eyes to maybe see something that you didn't know about. You know, that I, since I was on the backside or I, I was part of horse racing, that I could help somebody beyond just looking at speed figures, maybe figure out, oh, this agent has a new jockey. He's now got two jockeys, like why Pratt's now riding for Baffert more because the agent that had Van Dyke now has Pratt and he has Mike Smith. So just open up some eyes to people that might not know those things. And I thought it would be a good way, um, you know, for me to stay something that I have a passion for that I do every day anyway, that when it's not basketball season uh, to try to help people. Yeah. Basketball season kind of gets in the way for, for us sometimes, doesn't it? Just a little bit. I mean, um, uh, I still, you know, I, I follow it usually all the way up to Breeders' Cup, and then I kind of let go of it, and then it's basketball only. And if I have a moment where I can watch some horse racing on the weekend when I'm not scouting or breaking film down, I'll still watch some races. But I'm not as active. I try to stay, you know, abreast of what's going on, but not like I would, you know, once basketball season's over. Um, so let's go, back, let, let's go back to what you were talking about. Uh, I met you when you were when you were a trainer at Santa Anita, and you know those were kind of like the glory days that ninety one, ninety two, ninety three era, where was it ninety two, ninety three? Was it later? Might have been later. It might have been. You know, like um, the glory days. Like I said, you know, as far as when I first started on the backside. You know, I was, you know, when Frankel first came around, my dad had a horse with him. Um, you know, I, it, so like the glory days to me is like, I used to sit in the turf club once in a while with Cindy Shoemaker and get, when I was younger and go to the winner's circle with them. So like I said, I've been around horse racing my whole life. So, you know, 90s, like I talked to Jude Feld all the time and we talk about how we were lucky to experience how great California racing was and, you know, how far it's fallen. Right. So we talk all the time about that. And like you said, 90 and 91 still were some glory uh, times of going on in California. And I love being part, um, you know, of that time a little bit. Yeah, I do. I do too. It's, I, I mean, it's, I, it, it, it's just fallen to a point where everybody's gotten away with, you know, being a real, you know, it still has great pools, because it has the afternoon when other racetracks are down and it's still considered an A racetrack. So the handle's high, but you know, as far as having 10 horse fields, nine horse fields, I mean, look what we have Saturday out there. It's atrocious. You know, I always, uh, I always laugh at, I was talking to Joe Steiner, right. And Joe and I have known each other for a long time. And this was probably about four or five years ago. We were, we were sitting at, 
at lunch in, Kentucky, in Lexington. And we were talking about how far down Santa Anita has gotten. And that was back then. And he goes, you know, have you realized the biggest, the biggest thing that you can tell about Santa Anita? And I go, no, what? He goes, all of the good horsemen are now starting to head east. They're all, they're all going to, you know, smaller tracks to, to run. They're not running at Santa Anita because they know where the horses are. And it didn't make sense then, but I mean, you think about it, you're, you may not be part of it, but, or you're still, kind, you're still on the periphery of it. You're back east. Nick Asado is back east. Jude Feld is back east. John Sadler now has more horses probably in the Midwest than he does at Santa Anita. So, I mean, it, it's starting to get to a point to where everyone is siphoning themselves out to the, to the East Coast. What can change in California to help that out? You know, it, it's hard to really, you know, first of all, you know, PETA, and I'm not saying PETA isn't a vital part of a lot of things about making, you know, animals have better lives. But my problem is, and you is, and Caitlin, if you've gone to the backside and looked at Santa Anita in California, how well 95% of those people take care of their horses. You know, I always tell people, go to a place where there's a riding stable and those horses don't get baths or they don't get mud in their feet. They don't get poultice. They don't get, you know, thumped and massaged. I mean, those horses have two bales of straw in a, most barns in their, in their straw. So, I mean, I think we need to, you know, like the Lasix rules and you're chasing horsemen out because... It's just becoming, and you're chasing owners out because you're running these horses that claiming horses, allowance horse can have Lasix now in California and stakes horses can't, right? So yeah. if, a, if a horse can have it as a claiming horse and we can have it as an allowance horse, why are we penalizing the owners who are trying to get these horses great at stakes place for pedigree and they got to run with no Lasix or two-year-olds can't run with Lasix, but once you turn three, We've ruined you to have you bleed as a two-year-old, but we're okay having you have Lasix at three. So here's, I mean, here's, my, here's my question to you. And I've had this discussion off air with people, and I'm glad you kind of brought up the whole Lasix deal because it's – and Caitlin follows a lot of international racing, so she's probably more in tune to it than I am. And I'm just going back to when, you know, the 80s and 90s when, when horse racing was big in California. but a lot of the barns never used Lasix unless they that was necessary for them. And now you see first-time starters using Lasix. My question is why? You know, here's the funniest thing. I, when I first came up and got my training license, I got my license and I was stabled. Uh, I'd worked for a person named Jeff Copeland that was very close to Eddie Gregson and John Gosden. So I worked for him for quite a while. And I had owned a horse and rubbed uh, my horse and one of his extras. And, Eddie, and we were in Eddie Gregson's barn. And Eddie Gregson never used Lasix unless it was absolutely necessary. And he'd run horses for Maiden 32. And he, he, they would be claimed automatically because he didn't put Lasix on. And we used to say, you know, the reason why they're claiming the horse because you don't put Lasix on. And he's like, well, the horse isn't a bleeder. He said, well, they said, well, that's why they're claiming it. And then he said, screw it. And he started putting his horses on Lasix, right? Because he thought if they're claiming my horses just because of that, you know, and I think, you know, people start thinking that Lasix is this wonder drug and maybe it does have, it lowers your blood pressure or, but look at since we don't have two-year-olds on Lasix, right? 
And these two-year-olds are still running really fast for Bob Baffert, right? Or they're still running really fast for Todd Fletcher in the racetracks that they don't, that he's at that doesn't allow two-year-olds, right? Or Steve Asmussen. Um, but I think it makes it really hard, like you had your last uh, guest on. Yeah. It makes it really hard for gamblers to have to figure that if we don't have them for two-year-olds and now all of a sudden you're taking it away from the stakes races, do they know which ones really needed it or really don't need it? And they bet on this horse that has this really good form and the horse goes off at eight to five and they single them and the horse lays an egg. I mean, they feel like they've been bamboozled, right? Like they, they, they didn't know and everybody else did know, right? The insiders did, right? And I think, I think that's just a bad, we got to go one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm for, if we're going to say no Lasix, then let's have no Lasix from the time they're two so that we're all on the same page. But, you know, to take them off, when they've been running in these allowance races to go to their first stakes race, it, it's, you know, pretty drastic to me. So my, here, here's the way I see it, right? So back in 2000 and I think it was 2002 at Santa Anita. Could have been, I, I could be wrong on the dates, but it, it might've been 2002. Um, no, may have been later than that. But I remember they did the no Lasix rule for the Breeders' Cup. And I remember watching certain horses that were trained by a certain trainer and they were all tucked up. They all looked like they were, that they had lost horse flesh, that they weren't putting on weight, that they didn't have any muscle tone. And it's like, well, you know, those horses need, you know, those horses are running on Lasix because they need to, because they've got something else going on with them as far as like what else they're putting in them. And then, you know, nowadays, I think if you don't know how to look at a horse visually and you're betting races if, and you're betting, you're betting uh, horizontals uh, or not horizontal, verticals, you, you're going to be screwed because you're not going to be able to see a horse and say, oh, that horse doesn't look the same way it did the last time. Because that's a good indicator on whether or not that horse is going to be able to fire or not off of the Lasix. Well, that's why it, it, when you're betting off of computer and you don't have a very good, you know, view of the horses in the paddock or getting to see all of them or on the track in the post parade, like you said, or when you're live getting to watch one warm up and one warms up and, you know, leaves the pony and doesn't look too well. I mean, we don't always see those shots. And, you know, like I'm down here visiting in Tampa and it's really nice when I'm at the track live now, I get to see these horses warming up who leaves the pony. Uh, and I agree with you, like you'll see a horse that the, the horse's hair looks horrible compared to what it looked like a month ago, right? So the coat or anything else, that's a great indicator, right? So, uh, and especially if a horse has been bleeding in the morning and been working, that horse's coat's going to turn pretty bad, you know? And like you said, if they need it for other reasons. But I, I think in California, the testing is so fanatical um, that, these people are so afraid of doing anything. And I'm still my finger on the pulse with Tim Yachtin and anyone. You got to remember, they have three veterinarians at the quarter pole, at the half mile pole, and at the seven eighths pole. Three all day long watching training. So when a horse goes around there and they don't like the way it goes at any pole, they'll tell you, we're coming back to your barn and we're going to go over that horse. That horse has to be left out for them, right? So I think that's the number one reason why horse racing out there has had the the least amount of breakdowns that they've had in years, right? Just, just that they're scrutinized so hard out there and the drug testing is, you know, got them over a barrel. So I think 
you know, having the LASIKs or not having the LASIKs, I think we're fine having the LASIKs just on what they're doing, right? And, you know, funny story is the horseback. We lost her, Paul. You there? Yeah, can you, can you repeat what you're Are you saying? there? Yeah, we're here. Uh, I said just the funny, st funny story about California. Yeah. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello? Yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So, so what I was saying was going back to that is there's a funny story. There was a trainer. This is how bad it's gotten there. That the horse I saw in the form didn't have Lasix on first time starter. And like you said, they all have it right. Three-year-old. And I thought maybe that trainer was preparing that horse to go straight into a stakes race. And I asked somebody that knew the trainer and they said, Oh no, they didn't want to pay the $400 to add the Lasix late because they didn't want any problems with the people on Twitter world starting to say, Oh, he added the Lasix so he could add drugs. That's how it's bad. It's gotten out there perception wise via what people are saying on Twitter. But I mean, and that, it's a valid perception. I mean, exactly. So, and you look at the trainer, like I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. I won't mention who as Caitlin, Caitlin jump in whenever you can. Uh, I'd love to hear from Caitlin. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there's this perception, you know, out of competition testing is, is really big now with breeders cup and all that. And if you get busted out of competition testing, you know, that horse can't run a breeders cup. And so now you, if you don't know when that, and this screws the batters a lot, if you're not in the know when that out of the out of competition testing is, you may like a horse, like say from, and I'm not, I'm just going to say barn A that has been winning races. And then all of a sudden he throws a, he, he just doesn't run. Good, good example was Good Samaritan winning the Haskell, right? Right. A business winning the Haskell. The only reason why he won the Haskell is because Mott runs a clean barn, right? And everybody that was out of competition testing couldn't do what they usually do. You're absolutely right. That's a that's a tough situation. And like I said, that's just a, a another negative for the people who are putting their money up betting, you know. And and that's why this sport uh, struggles so much, right? So. You know, I, I find it just really hard to know exactly what the best thing is. But I think, you know, uh, if you have the rules, and I've always said this, NBA has a commissioner, NFL has a commissioner, and that Major League Baseball and hockey, they all have commissioners. We don't. Every place has different rules. I think we need to have unified rules to where we're all held to the same standards. And you go use something one place, you can use it in the same place. You know, and, th and, th and that's the problem. You want to use the whip use the whip, right? If you're not going to use the whip, let's, you know, have that unified for, you know, it's like Johnny V the other day watching in the Kentucky, in the Santa Anita Oaks. I mean, one rider's a local rider and he's Pratt. He's riding without the stick. And Johnny V went three times mid stretch and almost got up because he's not playing by the same rule, right? He'll take the three days. Yeah, exactly. Because he'll get the money. So, Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're running for the, for, for 400,000 and he's been riding all over the world in the last three weeks. Does you think he really realizes that, Oh, I can only whip twice. I mean, he's going for the third one because he's got 50 yards to go to try to get that horse's head down. Yeah, exactly. You know, so 
I mean, that's why I said, I think we need a commissioner or we need something where we're all on the same page. And I really believe that, you know, it's the same as the same betting formats. You want to have C race tracks, you know, have the 20 cent pick six. Great. I think the 20 cent pick six at the Stronic tracks, they're just basically the only ones making the money when they get the mandatory and 6 million is being bet and they're taking 20 some percent out, you know, and a thing pays $3,000. The, the, the old days with $2, you could play a $12 ticket and still make 60,000, right? You know, yeah. the, the 20 cent pick six is just draining everybody from, you know, they're holding your money, keeping the interest. I just think it's it's laughable. Yeah, I think it's funny that, you know, I think it's funny. We harken back to the old days where the two dollar pick six was the way to go. <clears throat> 20 cents doesn't cut it for me. Just no, that's why that's why that's why guys like Kurt Hoover, Bob Ike, all the you guys that are, you know, were really decent gamblers. They love Los Alamitos, which I don't like playing, but they like it because it has the dollar pick four and the two dollar pick six. Yeah. You know, and, that little short meat. And, you know, uh, Sam, he, the funny thing was, and uh, you know, we cover we cover Sam Houston quite a bit here because I'm based in Sam in Houston. But, um, you know, they got rid of their 20 cent pick six and did a 50 cent pick six right well, i see it I, w- I watch it once in a while you know on off days i'll watch it you know just because i like some of the players uh the trainers there you know and i like i follow uh jeff bloom uh that has horses with asmussen so i follow when he ships his horses around yeah he so you know they have the 50 cent pick six they have 12 percent takeouts on most of their bets and you know the product is the product has gotten better as way better way better and the crazy part is it's probably one of the safest tracks on the country uh turf horse dirt horse they just know how to get it done right but you know i think somebody posted on twitter i can't believe that gulfstream park runs 300 some odd days a year and they have less purse purse money for thirty-two thousand dollar main claimers than sam houston who's running for almost 35 40,000 now you know, it's crazy. That's why I laugh. P- people were saying, oh, California's purses are horrible. I said, well, they're, they're all bigger than Gulfstream. And Gulfstream is supposed to be a better, has way better, you know, fields and more handle usually. But yet California still has better purses at Santa Anita, right? It, yeah. it just amazes me. It just Gulfstream's, Gulfstream is way behind. So when it comes to California, especially with everything going on right now with the whip and the changes with Lasix and all of the animal welfare stuff that happened within the past couple of years. Do you think that there's a way that they're starting to crawl out of this hole? Do you think they'll be able to come out of it and kind of regain interest out there? Or in, in your opinion, do you think it's almost too far gone? Mm, that's a tough question. I think uh, it, it's, you'd have to really turn the clock back. I think, um, Right now, I think it's a little bit, you know, it's the, the, the corners passed. I mean, you'd have to change the rules. CHRB, you know, they just, I guess, they didn't rehire uh, the lady that was on the CHRB. I guess she's going to get another vote taken, but she didn't get her. She thought she was going to be voted back in, and she was one that really sided with the PETA group. Um, and I think, you know, if you can get some of the laws changed, you got to remember they're not running tomorrow at Santa Anita, and they're not, I mean, this Friday, next Friday, and the following Friday. Because when they were having all the problems with the breakdowns that one year, uh, Congress and the local government shoved through where you have to take 10 mandatory, 10 mandatory days off during the Santa Anita Park meet. 
So now we're going to run Saturday and Sunday for the next three weeks with no turf racing. So that's why I said, if you look at Saturday's card, I think most races have five or six horses on our, on our Saturday, which used to have, you know, nine to 10 horses. So I don't know how, how easy it's going to be to turn that back, you know, unless we change a lot of the laws and a lot of the rules. I think we're really, I think we're, if we can move up one notch and I think Delmar is really trying to turn it around for them because they offered a lot of money this year for the ship and win more than ever. $4,000 up front for every horse that comes in and then 40% the whole meet on every race you run. And if the horse is claimed from you, you still get the 40% as the person who brought the horse in. Wow. So, I mean, they're really, really stepping it up down there. So I think you're going to see Del Mar have fields like they had maybe six, seven years ago. I think it, it's going to be pretty big. That's going to be great. I might actually play Del Mar. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they're giving everybody 4000 to bring a horse in. So that's basically paying a train, one training month or paying for the flight and part of a training month. And they're going to give you 40% if you keep the horse, other than stakes races, all the way to the end of the meet. And if it gets claimed and you were the one who brought it in, you don't even have training bills and you're going to be getting 40%. So you're going to have people want to bring 10 horses in, run them right at you. And if they get claimed, they're okay with it because they're still getting 40%. I mean, that's so, the- I mean, I think Del Mar can, I think Del Mar can really turn it around this year. I think Santa Anita uh, is really, uh, they've got to change a lot of things because I think they're a little bit okay with the way racing is right now because th- they're saving a lot of money and they're making a lot of money because they have their own uh, betting site, you know, and they have a lot going on for them where they don't need live racing like a lot of these racetracks. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's really crazy how it is, right? I mean, yeah, I agree with you. It's just not. That's my answer, Caitlin. The best I can give you, but I think we're not uh, we're not heading back in the the best of directions. But I think the the certain track like Del Mar is going to really showcase a great summer meet. They'll be just parallel, or they'll be maybe a notch below. But I think you'll see them be almost as hot as as Saratoga. I would definitely agree. Um, Del Mar, I, I think, is kind of obviously one of those boutique meets that you maybe will never see them cool off. I mean, they'll cool off more than they would in years past. But, I mean, especially with the ship and wind program, the fact that they only run a few months out of the year, I definitely agree with that. Um, so S- Santa Anita doesn't do any type of ship and wind program. It's a while, been a while since I've been out to Santa Anita. They, they, they do a ship and wind. Uh, and it's just like the old Del Mar. It's, you know, they're not giving you any extra for coming. Uh, they're just going to give you 35% on your first start. So if your race doesn't go and you've been, which can happen because, you know, your race out there, you got to remember they're trying to make races go. So if your race doesn't come and you're, you're already a month into it and a hundred dollars a day, you're already about 5,000 into the horse. So what's the 30% really doing you? You know what I'm saying? So I mean, people, you know, like John Sadler, he claims some from Oakland, brings them there. Phil Diamato, he's got Keeneland in Oakland. He brings some in, same as Pete Miller. But the average Joe, you know, it, it's just not, you know, not happening. And, and if you're not ch- bringing in new horses, you know, it, it's just stale. I mean, you're, you know, looking at six horse fields, seven horse fields. You know, I think it's to me as an owner. I would be more comfortable now claiming out there because the rules are so strict about how a horse can get by the state vet. I don't think you have to worry too much about claiming because if they cool out a, a touch off, 
they're absolutely given back to the old, old owner and trainer. So I think the claiming game is at its best right now in California. If you want, if you're looking to claim horses. I, I agree with that. Okay. So we don't want to keep you too much longer, but we're going to, we're going to play the same game we played with Trey. Kaylin's going to ask questions, but we're going to throw a twist in. I'm going to ask you a couple of basketball questions because, um, well, we both love basketball. So you um, got it. Go ahead. <laughs> if, you, if you could own a horse with disposable income, the horse was as good as you could get. What track would you most want to win a race at? Oh, um, you know, I would probably have to say um, I still love Del Mar, you know, and I've won there. So I probably have to go outside that a little bit. I'd, I'd probably say unlimited, uh, probably Churchill Downs. I've, there's very few tracks that I promised myself, unless I could have taken the horse there on Kentucky Derby Day and I trained it or I owned it, I would never get, step foot in Churchill Downs. I'm 58 years old, 59 years old, and I've never stepped foot inside of uh, Churchill Downs. Closest I got. I ran fifth in the Oakland, uh, the Arkansas Derby, uh, and that was my one chance of thinking if we ran in the top three, I'd have made it there. So probably at Churchill Downs. Okay. okay. So I got to ask, were you, you, I know that you uh, won a state championship with Pasadena High School. Was that I, was an I was an assistant coach there, yes. We won a CIF title. Was that with Moore? No, it was um, – the coach there was Tim Tucker. He had played for um, the old great coach that had uh, Coop, uh, you know, Cooper and back then in those days. And Tim Tucker took over the program he had played at. And I was an assistant for him and coached the fre uh, freshman sophomore team. That's nice. Oh, that was the same. That was almost the same year that I made that run with La Cunata then. Yes. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Caitlin. If you could use any current jockey for the hypothetical horse I was talking about earlier, who would be your go-to jockey? Um, you know, I love Fravian Pratt, but I still think, um, you know, if I could turn the clock a little bit back, I still got to go with, you know, the funniest thing is Kent DeSormo. You know, always had some luck with him, and I still – I think he's heating up a little bit, and I'm going to stick with the, the – the you know, still got – you know, it's like people love P-Val – I love Kent DeSormo. I'll never forget uh, sitting downstairs one day listening to a guy yell, come on, can't win my rent. And I'll, you know, I mean, he was really a miraculous jockey back in his heyday. And I know he's fallen from fame, but I still would go with him one time. So you have, um, you're now coaching out in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, how great is that program? And how are you able to recruit at all or no? No, it's a, um, I took the job. This is my 12th, it was my 12th year there. So uh, they weren't very, very really a, a sports school and they've become a little bit of a sports school. They were a high academic end. Average SAT to the two tests, math and uh, English was 1350 in that school when I got there. Uh, so, you know, pretty strong. That's the average. And then about my fifth year there, I've got, I, I got a, a couple of, Really, I got a transfer that came in from uh, Ohio, uh, the really big Catholic school there. What's um, 
you know, they're, they're the big boys Catholic school. So I, I got a transfer from there and I had a good nucleus and we made a final four run. We made it to the uh, final four state final four and got beat it uh, by three. So, you know, we're a solid little program two a, we play, we play in a nice little Catholic school uh, tournament down in Atlanta, uh, which with some powerhouses and every now and then we surprise some people, but we can't recruit. It's basically, you have to be merit-based uh, economics to get in. It's not like a lot of Catholic schools. Uh, so, you know, it, it's pretty, we play in the public school league. So you have to play, they're pretty strict. You have to, if they think you're getting an upper edge, they will turn you in. Wow. Yeah. In a, in a heartbeat, like they've been the last two years trying to get the charter schools and the private schools. And there's three of us now, like the team in my uh, league, we played them in the second round this year of States and they're our uh, rival like Duke Carolina. They're like, two miles from our school. Uh, they had uh, a McDonald's all American seven, one and his brother seven feet. So they have two, a seven, one and a seven footer. Um, and we played the best game of the year for us. And we lost by 16, but they're really, they ended up winning the state championship and they lost to the state champion five, a school by two and uh, like three games before the state title. So we're not bad. Uh, we're just a, a cut below really strong teams, but I, I, I love the job. It's a great job. It gets me, to be able to have some freedom to do stuff in the summer, which I love to do is horse racing. Go ahead, Kayla. Last one for me, go-to trainer. Um, who would you currently use these days if you had a horse and needed a trainer? Well, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be, like I said, I was stable with Bobby Frankel for five years at Hollywood Park. And I was lucky enough because I always had about eight to 10 horses and I was lucky enough to be stable with Bob Baffert for about six or seven years. And, you know, um, you know, like everybody's going to say Bob Baffert and I love him to death, but I'm going to go with his, one of his protégés because we're such good friends. I'd go with Tim Yachtin. I think he's really underrated. One of the most honest guys I've ever talked to. Uh, just love the guy. I think, you know, he's with the limited horses he's had, had a great year with some stakes horses out there and won some grade ones and grade threes. You know, I'd give him, I, I think he, he's just under the radar. I think he just needs to have a couple more really good horses and he, he'd uh, do a great job. Hey, don't forget when Timmy, when Timmy first started, he was with Charlie Whittingham. Yeah, he started with Baffert at the quarter horses. And, you know, we became really good friends because I was stable right next to those guys when they had 30 slews, Bob's first Breeders' Cup winner. And um, Timmy and I became really good friends. And then he left Baffert and went to Charlie. And then from Charlie, he went back to Bob and he took his second string at Hollywood Park. And uh, we've been friends since the days that he's had his first job over there with Bob. I've always I've, I've always loved Timmy because he's he's always got this wry smile on his face. when you Yeah, he's always him. always him and his wife. You know, yeah. she does a great job on, at Santa Anita for XBTV, you know. But yeah, I mean, I remember him at, with Charlie Whittingham. Funny story with 30 slews. When he got retired, um, Pam Eckert, uh, Derek Gomez's. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, yep. And sometimes she couldn't make it out there because she was, she was uh, working at the racetrack. So I would have to take him out of his pony barn and walk him around and get to be on top and get to ride him a little bit when I was alive. Wow. And, you <laughs> and that horse was the coolest horse in the world, man. He was so chill. He was awesome. 
Yeah, she was a really, really good person. I love Pam. Pam's a really nice person. I love Pam. I don't think, I, I think she is one of the greatest human beings in the world. Um, I still think the world of her and, you know, she's just really smart and a good horsewoman. Very good horsewoman. Okay. My last question, uh, as far as basketball is concerned, what, are you the type that, that goes in every year go, thinking, okay, I'm going to run the same offense I always run, or do you change based on your, your players? It's a funny thing you say that. Um, I like to run the same system uh, over and over because the system we run, it's at like a four out, with a, and sometimes we use a lot of UCLA cut, and it teaches the kids where I'm at that they have to get a left and a right hand. But now that you said that this year – um, my sons have been helping me, but two of the, uh, my three sons, uh, helped me with my, uh, uh, coaching and we've all agreed that we are going to have to go to a five out and we're starting to, you know, move to a lot of the Yukon stuff on the women's side where they run the two highs and they run a lot of cuts through and motion where you have five outs. So, uh, this will be the first year that I'm going to be changing it up for the last, uh, 15 years. I've run the same system. Yeah, I, um, I was running a lot of uh, a lot of Bo Ryan offense because I had locked me out up because it was they were more cerebral and they were, to, right they had to learn to move without the ball um, and then I came out here to Houston and I tried to run it and they looked at me like I was cross-eyed um, so I had to I had to basically just go with a four out and try to spread the court and get my fastest girl with the ball and let her just go to the rim. Uh, if I didn't, I didn't, we would be in a lot of trouble. Now, I mean, when was the last time you were at La Cañada? Six years, five, six years ago. So did you know uh, a basketball player on the boys' side named Mason Holly? Yeah, Mason's a great guy. Mason and I are actually, we're Twitter friends and Facebook friends, and he's dating uh, one of my former players, Sydney Zarate. Right. Yes, absolutely. I coached him since uh, sixth grade. Yeah, doesn't doesn't he run your stars program in California? Yeah, he runs. Uh, yes, he does. He has the big AAU program out there at La Cañada. And he's over at um, Cal State. LA, Cal State LA. Absolutely. What yeah. a small world. Yeah, I mean, he's a great kid. Smart, intelligent. Yes. Kid. I was I was with the girls the whole time. But right, I know you, or that's what I was figured you'd know some of the players since, you know, I didn't know that his girlfriend played for you. Yeah, that was like one of my first years there. Um, she was a senior. She was dating uh, Rocky Moore's brother. Brother, absolutely, yep. So as uh, Caitlin's like, oh, wow, you guys know everybody, don't you? Uh, <laughs> Caitlin, it was, it was really great to get to talk to you guys tonight. I, I guess I hope you have a, a great night and please have me back. I'd love to come on. Oh, no, Absolutely. we're going to have you back on a while. And I'm going to actually send, shoot you a text here in a bit because um, I've got, we've got some things in the fire that you might be interested in doing and uh, hopefully we can all get together and do it. No problem. Please keep me in the loop. I'd love to come back on. It was a great time tonight. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. G good to talk to you. Nice to meet you, Caitlin. Nice to meet you, Paul. You got it. Have a great night. That was a former trainer, now coach for St. Joseph Catholic High School, Paul Asinesi, on in the GOAT Zoom room. That concludes our show for today. Next week, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna promise anything. Next week we might have a huge guest. Not as big as Rachel. <laughs> Snaps for that. But close to it. Love it. So with that said, hope you guys have a good weekend. Remember Lexington Stakes is this week. Um, and we're only gonna be like three weeks away from the Derby. Um, we got some fuel, we got some stuff going in the fire for GOAT. Uh, G-O-A-T handicapping.com and goat zoom room and some fun stuff. And as soon as we're able to announce stuff and get it finalized, y'all be the first to know, but thanks a lot, Caitlin, as always, it's been great. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy modeling career <laughs> to, to come on today. It is, it's raining today. So we had nothing going on today for sure but with the weather warming up starting to do a few more things and it was exciting to go back to the track this past week so I'm hoping to be able to travel a little bit more now that I've been vaccinated and be able to do a little more things and get back to normal but derby's coming up last preps this weekend so it's super exciting times and don't forget you got vaccinated last week right last last I did so you technically have one more week before you are fully inoculated. That's true. So can't wait for that. <laughs> you will, I don't want to, I don't want to sound bad, but you will definitely see me traveling quite hey, a bit this year. That's, fun. that's <laughs> awesome. It's great. So with that said, we will see you next week. We appreciate you guys listening in. And uh, since we moved over from uh, just, to the podcast we've actually gotten a lot more downloads and we really appreciate that so without you guys uh, it's great just remember to subscribe rate review i hate being that type of person but it's the type of thing that we need to remind you guys so have a good night